One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I couldn't sleep last night. Now, this is not an uncommon occurrence for me. Most of my sleepless nights are caused by my brain obsessing over all of the people I've decided who hate me, uh, wrongs that will never be righted, and every awkward thing I have ever said ever, which is a lot. Sometimes I revisit old scenes of my life and wonder what would have happened had I written them differently. Other times I play out scenarios that haven't happened at all and probably never will. But last night, what consumed my every waking thought was tornadoes. <laughs> yeah, tornadoes. Here in Tennessee, we get a lot of tornadoes, and you never quite know when they will pop up or which route of destruction they will take or how long they'll stay. I mean, what's crazy is predicting a tornado touchdown is nearly impossible for scientists. Yeah, even in the year 2023, which means when there is even the smallest percentage of a tornado warning, my brain keeps me up watching episodes of Outlander until one in the morning with my weather app displayed brightly on my phone, debating if the hall bathroom or the hall closet would be a better safe room for me and my children. Good times. Now, after a year of living in Tennessee and reading every statistic on every website about injury and death rates due to tornadoes, um, I've come to learn that they're actually pretty low. And I am now fully aware of my irrational misdirection of fear. You see, it's not the actual tornado that I'm scared of. 
No, my fear is rooted in my inability to control the unpredictable. And if scientists can't predict where a tornado will suddenly touch down, then neither can I. And I wish I could go about my day without any worry, you know, without holding my breath, looking around, wondering what else is out there in the world, waiting en route to come and destroy me and everything I love like a giant asteroid barreling in from outer space. I've convinced myself that I have an all-knowing superpower that allows me to derail said hypothetical asteroids that are lurking millions of miles away. Now, my superpower is that if I can keep everything and everyone around me happy and safe and satisfied and perfect and in its place, then I am in complete control of my destiny and in no danger of any sudden life asteroid impacts. Let me explain. An asteroid in outer space is a rocky object that varies in size and orbits the sun. Now, some are too small to cause any real damage. They evaporate in the Earth's atmosphere. There are fragments that are left, you know, that find themselves in the Earth. You can even buy these fragments at gift shops, while other asteroids could be large enough to cause extinction. Like those poor dinosaurs, they never saw it coming. Life asteroids, which is a term I've created specifically for this episode, are rocky events that varies in size and orbits you. Now, a small life asteroid could be spilling coffee on your white shirt, or a bigger one could feel like someone backing into your car while neither of you have car insurance. The extinction-feeling-sized asteroids are more like heartbreak, deception, loss, death, grief, disparity. And for a long time, I've tried using my type A superpower of perfection to convince myself that I can deflect and derail those types of destructive situations that may end up barreling their way into my orbit, destroying my atmosphere and the life I've created within it. But I'm starting to realize that maybe that's not how it works. I figured the one woman who may have some sort of philosophical, mathematical, or even scientific perspective on how to spot, understand, and protect yourself from life's unpredictable asteroids is the woman who ran the mission to ensure that our planet is safe from such a thing. Dr. Elena Adams is a mission systems engineer at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. Last fall, she led the Johns Hopkins APL team in orchestrating NASA's double asteroid redirection test, otherwise known as DART, a first-of-its-kind mission that intentionally directed a spacecraft into an asteroid to test a planetary defense technique known as kinetic impact. So you guys know all those asteroid-heading-to-Earth movie character saviors like Bruce Willis or Jennifer Lawrence? Well, Dr. Elena Adams is our real-life asteroid hero. After celebrating her successful mission with her team, she was quoted saying, I think that Earthlings should sleep better. Definitely I will. Well, let's see if Dr. Adams can help me sleep a little bit better tonight. I want to start with a very random question, but um, do you sleep at night? <laughs> actually, yes, thank you. Um, that is not a random question. I actually <laughs> do get asked that quite a bit. Um, yes, I sleep at night, uh, mainly because I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. 
but also because at the end of the day, we know where all the really big asteroids are. And uh, that makes me feel good because, you know, if there was a really large asteroid out there that was coming towards Earth, of course, that's something that we can't really do very much about. But for smaller ones, now we can. So yes, now I sleep better at night because DART is kind of done and I don't have to work in the mission anymore. Um, it's very, it's, you know, it doesn't happen very often where you work on the NASA mission that ends very abruptly like this and in a good way, not in the, oh my God, it, something bad went wrong. In mm -hmm. this case, it went really well and it ended. So at this point, yeah, I sleep really well. Are there any other coming? No, no. But are there any other missions that like it, it's over? Like you guys know you have a plan of action now and you're just ready whenever you need to you know, derail an asteroid, especially essentially. Correct. Um, yeah, for this uh, type of asteroid. Yes, we definitely are ready. Of course, on the other hand, there's uh much more to try to implement this, you know, how fast can we respond to an asteroid threat? So if you find an asteroid out, you know, six months from when it's about to hit the earth, can you really respond? You know, Don't Look Up is a great movie. Mm -hmm. uh, really enjoyed that. And, um, uh, you know, there they found the asteroid uh, quite a bit late. And in those cases, response sometimes is not the best option, which is what um, Dart was demonstrating, though, for an asteroid that you can find a couple of years prior to that, then you can actually respond. Or maybe you have Dart sitting on the, you know, at the table, and you can launch them in space real quickly. Just ready, just a backup, an easy yeah. backup plan. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I love a backup easy. plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm encouraged to know that you sleep at night. Maybe that will help me sleep at night because I do not. I I am someone who worries all the time, um, of all about all the things that are out of my control. Uh, but I have you always been interested in space? I I grew up in Orlando, Florida for the most part. And I grew up on a lake where I remember vividly as a kid going out and watching the space launches at nighttime because it would just mm -hmm. look like this Roman candle kind of like flying up into the sky. And we would go to the space Kennedy Space Center all the time to visit and for school trips. And, you know, we prepared in our classroom whenever there'd be a sonic boom for reentry. So, you know, spa mm -hmm. the space station in NASA was very uh, much a part of my childhood. Did Was it a part of your childhood at all? Um, no, actually, it was not. I, uh, I grew up uh, in a small town in Russia, actually. Uh, and it was a biological center where they had a whole bunch of biologists that worked on uh, different scientific problems. Um, and it was nine institutes, uh, 20,000 people, and a very small town, uh, but mostly populated by scientists and engineers. So uh, from that perspective, I was very lucky because both of my parents are scientists and engineers. Uh, and so I come from the background where it was just expected that I would do some sort of science. Um, of course, my dad expected to be biology. No, it didn't happen. I actually worked at uh, the National Institute of, of Health at some point as an intern. And I had to work with um, live animals. And that what really turned me off biology. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, thank you. Which animal was it? Rats. Okay. Yep, yep, yeah. Gotcha. That'll, yep. do, that'll do it. Yeah. I've never understood anyone that has rats as pets. Like all, I have friends that have done this. I I've yeah. had a coworker that brought her pet rats to work and I just, it's very beady eyes. Like even I love Ratatouille, but that's, that's too far. 
Yes. Yes. I'm totally happy with the ready to eat version yeah. of the rats. <laughs> but that's yes. not the real life version. Not the real life version. So um, I did really enjoy it uh, in many ways. And, but um, at the end of the day, my passion wasn't there. I took, so came to United States when I was in middle school, at the end of middle school, I didn't speak any English, learned English, and then discovered that I took, I did a camp an astronomy camp one summer. And I was just, that was it, right? I, it was dark. So as a teenager, right? As a teenager, you want to do all these crazy things. And here you could actually, at night, you would go out with a team of people and you would just observe in the large astron, you know, in the large observatory, there would be a big telescope and you could, you know, point at places and you really try to understand what's going on. You would actually track meteorites. You would track other asteroids and try to understand how they worked. And, you know, as a teenager, um, I was what, 11th grade, I was completely blown away by the idea that you can stay up all night and you can get paid for it. I mean, that's kind of crazy. So since then, I didn't really look back. I wound up doing applied math. I became a scientist and at some point uh, transitioned to engineering. So I mean, this might be an annoying question, but was it, did you feel, was it predominantly men in the field? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Of course it was. I mean, it still is, right? Uh, in many ways, um, I think on DART, we got, we were very lucky. Uh, our team was about probably 40% female. Uh, and uh, I worked very hard to try to get uh, women into leadership positions and kind of, you know, selling people a little bit on here, come work in this mission. It's very cool. Maybe it doesn't, you know, it's not as exciting as some of the larger space telescope ones, but it's really cool. You're protecting the earth. And um, I think that that really helps also having a leader in a position where you see it's, a, you know, it's a female role model. It, it does help uh, for other people in the field uh, wanting to come work in your mission. Yeah. Well, especially you said then your mom was an engineer as well. Mm -hmm. What yeah. specialty, what kind of engineering? Uh, she was uh, biomedical and then she became a lawyer. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> My mom was an environmental engineer for a very long time. Yeah. And um, but I just remember growing up hearing her stories and in, in the 80s specifically, just how she was one of very few women in her graduating class and just always felt like she had to really fight for her place within the room. And um, but especially for, for NASA, it's, uh, and just, you know, specific within space travel predominantly as well, just it's taken a while. And right now it looks much better than what it was, but were there other women that you grew up, um, once you realized that you wanted to get, you know, work in space and, and planetary studies and as a scientist, were there other women that you saw that you really looked up to at that point? Um, did you ever yeah. feel bullied that you weren't, this wasn't your place to be or no, had everything kind of. Yeah. So a I bit? had a strange, you know, I mean, as I said, I grew up in Russia where, um, um, women were much more 50, 50, uh, represented in the field in science and engineering, uh, just because everybody was expected to, you know, it's a communist country. Um, so, uh, when I came here, I didn't really notice it until I started undergraduate, right, where uh, there, there were less uh, women in the field than men. And I was grew up with, um, I guess, 
understanding that we should be able, anybody in the room should be able to express an opinion and talk about what they view is right and wrong. And um, so uh, there were definitely early on in my career, there were moments where you were just like, uh, the guys would speak a lot and the women wouldn't. <laughs> um, but then as you uh, start becoming more confident in your abilities, and as you um, have more women in the field, you also become more of a community. And um, in a way, it allows you to speak more freely and create a much more uh, diverse conversation, I feel like. It's, it's definitely, um, that definitely changed. When did uh, this opportunity for, you know, to, to basically join, start, uh, you know, see over the DART team, when did that come about? I know that it was, there's planetary defense was developed in 2016. And so this shortly, this came about after, correct? Oh, uh, actually, so we started planetary defense as an office big at NASA uh, was established in 2016. But we've been doing planetary defense for a long period of time before that people have been tracking asteroids and trying to figure out where they are and their orbits. Um, for quite some time, you know, we have maps to 1988 of, you know, where certain uh, asteroids have impacted Earth and where those um, asteroids hit and things like that. So people have been tracking asteroids for quite some time. In terms of DART, we started around 2011 with the first concepts. Um, there was a, a national preparedness plan that we uh, that came out that said, hey, we should go out there, we should find where these asteroids are. And so that's just around the time when people started talking about, well, what can we do to actually mitigate the asteroid threat? What can we do to be able to combat the asteroids? And um, that's when uh, DART uh, got started. It wasn't called DART at that time. There were multiple concepts that were being considered. DART really got started in 2015. I came on in 2017, and I came on not as the lead, but the lead for the spacecraft just by itself. And um, eventually, the lead for the mission, um, just a year after that left, and I uh, <laughs> took over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, did this have anything to do with the with the asteroid? Uh, the meteor that entered the atmosphere in 2013 in Russia. Oh, the Chelyabinsk uh, yes. meteor. Which, by the way, I had no idea. I do not remember this event. And then in researching our converse, for our conversation, watching that on YouTube is terrifying. Yes. It is terrifying. It's. Could you explain a little bit for the listeners that maybe haven't seen this or don't remember it so they can, you know, if they are unable to look this up right now? So... Asteroids, they hit Earth all the time. Most of them are very small, so they burn up in the atmosphere and they never make it down to the ground. Some of the larger ones do go through the atmosphere and they can either burst in the atmosphere or make it all the way in the ground and generate meteorites. Meteorites are basically leftover chunks of an asteroid. So uh, so when you go to like a natural history museum and you see these rocks that look like really solid and um, uh, those are meteorites. That's what you get from an asteroid coming in through the atmosphere and people just find these rocks. So in 2013, 
so Chelyabinsk, Russia is um, kind of in the middle of Russia, basically. And um, there was an asteroid that came in and people think it's about 20 meters, right? And uh, so not very big, but uh, this asteroid came in and it burst in the atmosphere and it generated a large explosion. And that explosion was the size of probably about 20 times um, uh, the Hiroshima bomb explosion. So the explosion generated by the disaster, but because it happened in the atmosphere um, and it didn't happen right in Chelyabinsk, as it was near Chelyabinsk, uh, it generated a shockwave, and that shockwave propagated. So all the people saw this asteroid flash by. They actually had, there were people driving around with the dashboard cams, and they actually saw, you can see it on YouTube, you see these videos of an asteroid coming in, you see this giant flash, and then you see the shattering that happens of glass and other structures of as the shockwave propagates through after the asteroid bursts in the air. And, um, you know, people, so they saw the flash. 90 seconds later, the shockwave happened. And people, of course, when you see the flash coming through, everybody gets closer to the glass, right? They All people ran right next to the glass to try to see what, what is happening. And uh, the glass burst and uh, they had about a thousand people were injured, uh, taken to the hospital. Uh, there were uh, videos online you can watch where you can actually see that the blast is so strong that it knocks people off their feet. Uh, lots of damage of buildings. And, you know, and when you think about it, that's something that's a 20 meter asteroid for something that's larger. If you think of um, the Behringer, the meteor crater in Arizona, there's this big area that's blown out, a giant crater. Or you think back to the dinosaurs themselves, where um, the Chicxulub uh, Peninsula, where that's where the asteroid impacted that actually wiped out all of the dinosaurs. Um, and it wasn't that it actually wiped out the dinosaurs. It created the um, the atmospheric mm-hmm. um, disruption. Disruption, exactly, in such a way that all of the dinosaurs were suffocated or boiled alive. And you know, there there are many horror stories. And YouTube, thank you, YouTube, graphic videos of dinosaurs. I mean, I know, but that, but seeing that really. It, it got my antennas up for sure of just like, well, thank goodness there's a plan now because this actually does happen and it can get very bad. <laughs> and uh, but did that encourage any sort of planetary defense or are we just like the people that are walking around being like, everything's fine. The dinosaurs could never happen again. We have global warming and bigger concerns like, you know, how what the pop stars of the world are doing, you know, and celebrity gossip and politics, like as opposed to you guys are all actually paying attention to what's out there and potentially coming in. I mean, have you known that this was always like, do the teams know that this for what you do, they know, you know, what's out there, basically? Yeah, we do know what's out there. And the thing is that we can track a lot of the really large objects. Uh, what we don't have a capability of yet is track some of the smaller ones because you need to know where they are. These asteroids, right, when you go, as I said, to the National Museum, you see these rocks, they're really dark rocks. And the only way you can track them um, is by seeing them in the sky and basically watching a little dot from night to night shift of where it is, right? That's how you track these asteroids. And then you figure out here's the orbit of the asteroid, here's the orbit around the sun. And they do calculations about, okay, well, if it's here now, then in six months, it's going to be here. 
and then you confirm that it's really there. So you do that with all these different asteroids. Uh, there's, you know, 20,000 near-Earth objects. Um, and uh, just being able to, right now at this point, we know about 30,000 near-Earth objects that we've been tracking. I think we just recently uh, hit the 30,000 mark. Uh, so we track all of those. We, we know where they are. We're able to figure out their orbits. But sometimes those orbits cross Earth's. And that's when bad things happen. So, but we don't know where some of the smaller objects are. We can track some of the larger ones, but the smaller ones that would create an issue for, let's say, a regional size impact, um, those we don't really know where they are yet. So we know about 40% of those, 42% of those. So there's still a large population out there that we don't know where they are. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Oh man. Um, but for, so for people that didn't, that maybe didn't see the news last fall, um, you led your team and the mission was to basically send, um, send a, is the actual spaceship or it's not a spaceship. And I know it's actually pretty small. It's like the size of a bus, right? It's not Mm -hmm. that big, but you sent it very, very far away. Um, like millions and millions of miles away, correct? To hit an asteroid that is a, a moon, um, to just derail it off its uh, off its path just enough 
to know that you would be able to do that if an asteroid was coming towards Earth. And you not only did it successfully, but I think every news outlet was like, nailed it, like could not have (laughs) been more perfect. What was that moment like uh, right afterwards in the fishbowl of of celebrations? Oh, it was, um, well... It was both very exciting, but also in a bit anticlimactic because we worked, well, you know, we've been working on this mission for a long period of time and there was a lot of excitement when we launched it. And then there was a lot of uh, work done while it was getting to the asteroid and we were like, oh, we can do all these amazing things and we're going to, you know, we we tested it over and over again to make sure that we can really do it. But until you are actually there and you see the asteroid for the first time, because that was one of our biggest worries that we've never seen this asteroid. We have no idea what it's like. What if it's a funny shape like a dog bone and we have to try to hit it in the center? You know, our smarts and our um, spacecraft uh spaceships are usually spacecraft in our NASA lingo. Um, you know, it has to knew, know exactly where it is. It had to figure out what it looked like and then it had to hit in the center and we couldn't control it. It all had to do it all autonomously. So that part was really nerve wracking. Will it able to, will it be able to identify the right moon? What if there are more moons than just one, right? We, it was, it was a lot of, um, worry about that. But then once we were there, it looked a lot like the simulations that we've ran. And that's what made us feel like, oh, that's... Maybe that, we know that, our shit. Maybe we know me. our shit. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Because, because we were worried for so long. You know, we, we run ridiculous amount of simulations where we pretend like the thing is a duck, that it's a dog bone, you know, that it spins the other way. It, it uh, you know, it appears in a completely different spot than we expected it to. Can we still maneuver the spacecraft to it? And the spacecraft has to do this, all of this autonomously. So there was a lot of worry, but at there was a moment at 68 minutes where, um, or 68 minutes pre- before the impact, right? So an hour and eight minutes before impact, where we saw the moon for the first time, and it was just a dot finally came up in the field of view of our camera, because we were streaming images back. And uh, for those of you who watched it live, you you could see that we actually were streaming images real time back to Earth as a video. And we were watching it live and we see it starting to appear. And that was, you know, that was a great moment because up to that point at 80 minutes, I went and got a snack and we were standing in the back room with other engineers. And I was saying, guys, we need to start thinking about contingency procedures. Like, what are we going to do if in 15 minutes we still don't see it? What are, what are, what are our steps we're going to be, you know, following? And, um, and then, you know, one of the engineers came running into the snack room saying, Hey, Hey, I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it. And so all of us rushed back in and, um, it was a really good moment of, Oh yes, finally we see it. And then watching our spacecraft actually perform as we expected and this and it looking like a simulation at the last five minutes, you, you could see that in our faces, we were just. Yeah, we're going in. We we can tell that this is going to be fine. And uh, yeah, so that that was a wonderful feeling. We're also a little bit numb because we've been up since 4 (laughs) a.m. The impact happened at 7 p.m. We were there since 4 a.m. So at that point, we were a little tired. 
Now, it makes sense to me how you're able to channel all of, you know, not only your knowledge, but that energy that you, I think, just have to innately have as a person in your field when you're at work. But how do you, are you able to leave your work at work? Um, Not for five years. (laughs) Um, Sometimes. And you're a mother of three boys. And and I, and I have, it's so frustrating because I was so in looking forward to speaking with you. I had that annoying question pop up in my head that we all get asked as women who work. Mm-hmm. And it, it really irritates me because this is not a question that gets asked of men very often of how do you do it? How do you balance it? How are you a mother and you do this? And uh-huh. and there is no secret answer. You know, we all want to think just because we see someone doing it successfully that they must have, you know, the recipe to the secret sauce that doesn't really exist. Um, but there is... I think just innately in, in, um, you know, generally, you know, you could say that women have this desire to want to be everything to everyone. You want to, you know, and, and we have an ability to compartmentalize very easily. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the question is, how does that translate your compartmentalization, you know, of the way that your, your brain thinks and always strategizing what the other plans are? How does that translate into, being a mother, how does that translate into being a, a a person walking around the world? Oh, that's a really good question. And I think you probably know a lot about compartmentalization to also with your job and with uh, having two kids yourself. So it it is, I, I mean, I think the answer to that is it, just hard. <laughs> I think you know, people, as you said, people always ask you and, it, you know, they, they do expect that you have an answer and you have it all figured out. That's not true. You have no clue. And honestly, I mean, with my first child, so I have three boys and with my first child, I was not sure what I was doing at all. I wasn't sure that we were going to have children in the first place. And now with three boys, it's <laughs> too late now. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, my husband and I, we met in undergraduate school. Um, and I, we actually got married in undergrad, which is, you know, not something that people recommend you do, uh, early on, but, you know, we've, uh, we went to grad school together in, uh, in Michigan and then came down here together, uh, to, uh, apply physics lab where we work both of us in the space sector. Oh, wow. So, uh, we've been together for a long period of time. So I have to say the, only way I could do being a mother is also through his support, my husband Norm's support, because he's been just fantastic. And he's really understood that, you know, I have this drive to do NASA missions and I, I, I love it. it. It's my passion. So he's been really supportive about it. And uh, uh, we kind of, you know, it's understood that they're karma points. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, but it's a uh, part of it is actually having a very supportive husband at home and uh, to be able to do it. Uh, the other piece of it, of course, is um, being able to compartmentalize somewhat um, after you go home. Uh, you do need to spend put in the time with your kids who are, by the way, my kids are awesome. Uh, as a mother, I have to say that. Uh, and you have to put in the time Um, but then at night when they're asleep, that's when you work and then you wake up early and that's when you work. And, uh, then you, you know, this morning I packed lunches, uh, and then went to work and, you know, uh, my husband dropped them off and, um, you know, we have to, uh, share our responsibilities. Um, but 
that is uh, that's just what it is. Yeah, I think it's it's always interesting whenever I've gotten asked that question and or just like how do you do it all? I've heard so many, you know, dinners or lunches with a group of moms and kind of ask that and I'm like you don't. You don't. You you actually miss out. Like yeah. you either you're not going to be at work being like, oh, the second that I get home, my child's going to do this adorable thing. And then I'm going to go to sleep and drink a smoothie and <laughs> <laughs> prepare dinner and, you know, and snap a cute pic and be the mm-hmm. perfect partner for my spouse. And it, it doesn't work like that. Like something's got to give there. And I, I've always said like, you will be, there will be times in your life where you're more successful in one area of your life than others you know, mm-hmm. like where, you know, you cannot unfortunately be at a soccer game and also, you know, sending a spacecraft into an asteroid to hopefully save Earth one day. You cannot do those things at the same time. <laughs> but th- there will be another time where you're able to choose a soccer game instead of being at that one meeting or taking that one phone call. Um, but gosh, it, it, I've had so many moments where it just eats me alive. Yeah, no, I mean, same here. Uh, a good example is in in my case, at least, um, we do Taekwondo um, and both all three of my boys and me, uh, we do Taekwondo and it was my passion in grad school. And then I stopped for 15 years while I had kids and <laughs> a job. And then once they got old enough, I started taking them to Taekwondo and then I was like, oh, I miss it too. I'll start again. Um, and uh, so we've been doing things together just as a as a family activity. Uh, the four of us have, we've just been doing Taekwondo together. And I feel like that really helps uh, it also means that they can't quit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they have no choice. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, I don't want to go and I don't, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, no, you know, this is part of our family time. Like, it's on go. mommy's schedule and this is what we're doing. There it's is no happening. backup plan to this. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, so so that really helps. Uh, having activities that you do together or, you know, both uh, my, my boys are very artistic as well. So we do music and, you know, we do art and um, th- that kind of, you know, doing an activity just as a family that really, I feel like that really helps too. And that's the time where we chat about things and, um, you know, instead of the long car rides. So, you know. What are the ages of your children? Uh, They're uh, eight, well, close to eight, uh, almost eight, uh, 10 and 12. Yeah, that's a, that is a very busy household. I mean, I, I'm very similar, obviously not to your level, but I, I, my brain works in that way where I feel that there's a solution for every problem. I can figure it out. And if that solution's not working, I will come up with 10 other solutions and I will make it work. And I think it's interesting when life starts to present you with things, especially in adulthood, where maybe there are no solutions to the problem. Mm-hmm. Or, and maybe there is no way to fix something. It just has to stay broken. And have you encountered moments of like, moments like that in your life where you you what you've based your career on cannot be applied yes definitely um there are definitely days where i'm like it's just broken and you just have to accept that's what it is and uh try to move on uh, the best you can and i think that that's the key here is that the acceptance uh that it is broken and acceptance that um you can't really just go fix it but it's 
being able to look at things with a little bit of humor too, you know, and always not take things too seriously, right? I mean, because you can think of so many things that are broken constantly, right? Um, I mean, you look at this um, right now, the the world uh, with the war in Ukraine, right? My mom is originally, she has family in Ukraine. My dad is from Russia. You know, if you were to consider the conflict um, in the household, I can tell you right now, um, <laughs> there's no conflict between my parents because they are both very accepting of the fact that there's nothing they can do about certain situations. So um, I try to take the same approach of if it's, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about control and being able to, you know, not worry about things that are outside of your control. I try to just accept them because if there's really nothing I can do about it, um, it's going to take so much. It, it just it stresses me so much to be able to uh, work with things that are outside of my control that I just, I try to laugh about it and accept it for what it is and just try to look, work on things that I can help and can control. Is that learned? Is that something that you've learned over time or have you always had that within yourself? I have no idea. That's a good question. <laughs> no clue. But I have noticed that that's been happening more and more. I'm just like, hmm okay, well, let's just flow around it like water and move on and just accept it for what it is. Because, you know, some things you just can't change. I feel like with a lot of the media today too, you know, where we pay attention, right? I uh, used to be really, you know, I read political all the time. I read um, all these political blogs where I thought, okay, maybe there's things I can do. And at the end of the day, I would uh, wind up, you know, just, feeling really sad about the state of the world. Whereas as sometimes at work, it's, you can, you can help steer things in the right direction. So I'm trying to do my own little thing that I can do and um, to make something a better place, but there's many things I can't do anything about. Has it been, I'm sure it's been interesting navigating emotionally living, I mean, you've been living in the U.S. since you were in middle school, and obviously what's going on politically between Russia and Ukraine, what you just touched on. I mean, it, what's also, I mean, just that aside, it, I think it's very interesting, the competition that's always been between, notoriously between U.S. and Russia, and specifically mm-hmm. in space travel. Specifically in <laughs> space. Specifically in space travel oh, back in the yeah. <laughs> but, Oh, it still is, right? And so there, I can't tell you how many meetings I go into and people say, you know, more so than being a woman, you know, how many people go, I go into a meeting and they say something mean about the Russians and I'm like, oh, come on, guys. So I always have to remind them, hey, hey ex-Russian here, you know, you can't just make generalizations about everybody just based on, you know, the one political idiot, you know, but that is definitely true. Yeah, that must be very hard to navigate. That is interesting that it gets brought up more than, not that I'm sure you would walk into a room and everyone would be like, oh gosh, guys, it's a woman. Like I know that we've, (laughs) we've evolved somewhat. It's more passive aggressive these these days. Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, So it was my probably uh, second week on on the dark mission. And uh, when I started on the mission, there were actually only two women uh, that were in leadership roles. So they're, you know, a big team of um, probably 30 people, two women, 
me included. So uh, I come into a meeting and of course I was being late because I was running from one meeting to another. You know, you go into the meeting and um, you go, I went into the meeting and somebody put a trash can right next to the door. And of course, as I opened the door, because I was being late and this trash can goes flowing over and like spills trash everywhere. And I look into the room and it's all guys, right? Mm-hmm. And they all turn around at me and just stare at me. And I'm like, what did I just walk into? Is this 1950? <laughs> you know, because it was just that moment of they're all wearing the same exact outfit uh-huh. of the, you know, the, the striped shirt, you know, it's like the engineer oh, uniform. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, and I, here I am just feeling completely like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and here I, welcome. <laughs> Um, so there was that moment of, oh my God, what did I sign up myself to? Um, yeah. but it all turned out well at the end. So I'm very happy, but there was definitely that moment where I was like, what is happening with this? I world? mean, more than well, more than well, uh, it is wild to think that there actually is a plan of action. If, uh, like that, that is crazy to me. And that's not something that I've even thought about. And out of all the things that I worry about, which is a lot of things, like you can even ask, or like my kids, my six-year-old always jokes and my stepdaughters as well, that like, I'm a professional worrier. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like my latest worry thing has been tornadoes because I oh. live in Tennessee now. Oh, and wow. That's terrifying. You know, scientists don't know when they're going to pop up. You just got to follow the cape and the weather patterns, but you don't know if they're going to touch down or not. They can't even figure that out. Um, So if you want to apply any of your work to tornadoes, I would definitely (laughs) very much appreciate it so I can start sleeping at night. It is just wild to think that there is an actual backup plan. I do have some funny questions that are not as serious about like the end of the world, but that still kind of sounds awesome on my brains. Okay. So like, have you ever been around, you know, you know, the trope of just like people like are sitting around and they're stoned and they're like, Oh, the, the, the aliens that are out there. And like, Oh, like, have you ever been around a bunch of stoned people and been like, guys, I have the answers. Like I actually know what's out there and just blown their minds. And not recently, not recently, (laughs) but I do remember in college people having lots of discussions about seeding Europa with, you know, like the moon of uh, Jupiter Europa with life by putting like plants into the ocean. Can you really like reach the ocean and you can like seed it. And then, um, I do have to say it's uh, actually, uh, uh, it is funny. I do get a lot of uh, strange questions like, are you the real um, Bruce Willis and that sort of thing? And you're just like, oh, really? Come on. Um, hey, I have more hair. Come on. Could you, could you not? <laughs> you're what way more beautiful than Bruce Willis. Like, And he's a gorgeous man, but you, you're way more beautiful than Bruce Willis. And you have a much better plan. He blew himself up on the asteroid. That was a terrible plan. Terrible right, plan. right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I do get those. Um, I, uh, it's been actually really interesting. I've had a lot of people reach out to me. Uh, lots of parents reach out to me with, oh, my kid watched this and said, you know what, I want to be you know, a scientist when I grow up. I had people send me their texts from their kids 
um, that said, okay, I was having such a bad day. I was going to quit college, you know, well, not one particular class or something. And, and then these are people I don't know, right? These are people who are writing me letters and um, uh, sending me um, things on like LinkedIn and where they say, okay, I got this, my daughter sent this to me. You know, she was having a really bad day, but she watched you hit an asteroid said that if this person can do it, I can do it. And um, I I didn't really think about being the, the face, face of this. Yeah. Of this. Um, it was more of the, it needed to be done. And so you stand up and you do it. And the other piece of it as well, I felt like, you know, we work really hard on these missions and you just don't see the thousands of people that have actually contributed to them, right? So there need to be some people present there. Um, and the choice usually with these space missions is not to talk about what you're doing in real time, right? If you had a success, then you talk about it. If you had a failure, you don't talk about it. We um, Has it always been like that or was that more like post-challenger? I think it's post-challenger. Yeah. It really is because the Challenger disaster really changed the way NASA did things because uh, how they became much more conservative, which is understandable, right? Yeah. I mean, I it mean, was a huge deal. Did you watch the documentary or the docuseries? Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. Were you just like gripping your chair so angry, watching so many moments within that of just irresponsibility? Yeah, people have tried to warn, right? And it, and it was just ignored. Yeah. But yeah. So, so in a way, I felt like what we were doing was a little brave. You know, I mean, and you have to take, you know, bravery in many things, right? It's how you build the mission, how you did other things. But one of the pieces that I felt we were brave in in this mission is that we said, be hit or miss, right? Uh, and there was a high probability at some points where we were, we were, we were, there was a chance we were going to miss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I just loved that it was, it was also, this is a time where I think a lot of these young kids, the only thing they see about space travel is, you know, billionaires. But, you know, that, that's that been like the latest, most recent um, bouts of space travel where I feel like we grew up where it was it was something you dream of. It's like you dream of the president of the United States. You dream of being an astronaut or, you know, it was a grandiose, um, very romantic superstardom thing. Um, it was very yeah. cool. And it just kind of went away for a while. And I, and then obviously, you know, the billionaire launches last year or the past couple of years, but I think that seeing last fall, the success of your mission, um, one, it just had nothing to do with that. You know, it had to do with mm-hmm. just like, humans wanting to not only be a part of what's going on outside of our planet, but having an understanding of what's going on outside of our planet. And the success of that is really cool and magical um, to, you know, grasp as a concept. And it had nothing to do with penis-shaped spaceships going into the atmosphere (laughs) for money. Well, but but I think it's the other. Even though that's cool too, I know. I, I I agree. Actually, I think it's that's what makes the mission. That that was the cool part about the mission. It's just how optimistic it was, right? I mean, the idea of you your day to day life, even when it sucks, because man, it sucks a lot, right? Um, you know, we don't talk about what the day to day life like, right? You you do answer go to millions of meetings. You answer huge amounts of email. You have to make decisions under the you know, in your decision will either tank the mission or you won't tank the mission. All of that, um, huge amounts of stress and all of that to do something where you can actually tell your kids, oh, hey, you know what? We're kind of just, we just show that we can protect our earth. And it's, you know, everybody can get behind that. All yeah. nations, all the whole world can get behind the message, which is, we are protecting Earth. This is not for some, you know, domination of space. No, this is for protecting Earth, protecting our home, mm-hmm. everybody's home. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing, right? I mean, that's something you can actually get people to be excited about. A lot of these space missions are very esoteric, right? We're going to a particular spot to do one particular scientific measurement. This is somebody, everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think the other time I've seen that in the last, you know, decade or a handful of years was um, the rover on Mars. I feel like that was very cool because the concept of going to Mars as a child was like, whoa, that'll never happen. And then it and then here we are in our lifetime. And that's just, you know, one thing there. And then there I'm sure there's way more things that I don't even know about that are in the works. Um, But do you believe in aliens and where are they? And what are they called and what do they look like? What do you think? Um, I'm sure there are some aliens out there that probably look like the minions and they're probably named Bob. But Perfect. maybe I've been watching too many cartoons. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they're aliens. I mean, honestly, we're discovering new planets all the time. Uh, the world is populated. Uh, so we have our solar system, right, with the sun and all of our planets. 
we don't actually know what's inside a lot of the moons that have oceans. Uh, we can't get there yet. We're going to try to, right? Uh, we're all working to try to, but those, those, that's really hard to come by. But then there's outside of our solar system, there are millions and millions of other solar systems that are populated with planets. And those possibly could contain life as well. Maybe not present, but maybe past life. So I can't say there's, there are no aliens because I, I just, by the numbers, there should be life out there besides us. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you guys know where all the large, like destru- very destructive uh, asteroids are. Um, do they have names? Uh, yes, a lot of them do. Um, and uh, if you ask me what is the coolest name for an asteroid, I don't have a good answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> are they all terrible names? <laughs> yes, they're all terrible <laughs> names. You know, there's the year that they're discovered plus, uh, a, you know, a three-letter designation. Uh, of course, as they become more famous, like, oh, we'll send a NASA spacecraft there, they get an actual name. Dimorphous uh, which is the moon that we hit, the asteroid moon that we hit, uh, is actually means of two forms because the first, it had one form and after we hit, it's going to have a completely different form. So that was a name that actually uh, some of the teammates um, came up with um, on DART and then they petitioned the Astro Union um, mm-hmm. and um, then the asteroid got named that way. And uh, Didymos, um, the bigger moon, uh, was actually um, a is twin in Greek. So, you know, so they're, they're okay names, but it's not like um, names that you'd want to tell your kids. They still don't really know how to pronounce Dimorphos or Didymos. I mean, that's a big responsibility. I want to know who it, like comes up with all the names of the tropical thunderstorms because... Yeah. That is always very funny to me too. Um, but I feel like same same job, you know, same same realm of just interesting. Uh, the amount of meetings and emails that must revolve around <laughs> naming yes. an asteroid. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes they get named after their discoverer. Sometimes they're named after the person who has contributed a lot to the study of asteroids. Actually, one of the program managers that I worked with for a long period of time actually had an asteroid named after her recently. So that's been wonderful to see. She was instrumental in getting DART going, and she now has an asteroid named after her, which is very cool. And it's quite an honor, you know, and um, you're next. I feel mm. it. You're, you got an asteroid mm. with your name on it. Just, But then the only caveat to that is making sure that that's not the asteroid that comes to try to hit Earth. I know, right? right? <laughs> that's a nightmare scenario. That would be right terrible. <laughs> yeah, can you that can happen? just see that happen. Does it just like, do they just go like, get wonky and then just like fall out of their orbit and then that's how they come streaming towards the Earth? How does How does that happen? This is how my brain works. This is what will keep me up at night. Tonight. Oh no! Actually, it's because we don't know their orbit that well. That's <sighs> that's how it works. Right. So there there are collisions, but as space is huge, space is huge. The asteroids don't collide with each other very much, um, but or you know, or with other things. And most of the asteroids have predetermined orbits, but how well we can measure where they are, um, it, that's the question, right? Uh, we only know wh- what it is within certain. Um, within an uncertainty. And sometimes that's large, sometimes that's small. The more observations you have the, the asteroid, the less uncertainty it is. 
So that that's good. Like we knew where we were going with Didymos because people mm-hmm. have been observing it for a long period of time. We didn't know anything about where the moon was going to be, um, but we knew at least where the main asteroid was, which yeah. was pretty exciting. Yeah. That's a lot of trusting in yourself that you've done everything you can to get to that point. Yes, that was definitely a lot. You know, <laughs> having traveled, what, 107 million miles to hit something within Man. 12 feet, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Yeah, that's precision. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's precision. Pretty, that's maybe just checking it twice, double checking, that. maybe using your, cal- your calculator just to make sure that all the numbers are working. Um do you what what is your like I would assume that you have an interesting perspective then on the butterfly effect and and just like you know the idea the concept for anyone that doesn't that a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the earth and that can make um larger effects all the way on the other side and just how something really small can just completely change the trajectory of your life or an outcome obviously that is the successful element of the DART mission. Um, How does that apply to your own life? Do you ever reflect on, you know, how you got to this place and, um, and, you know, those, the, the slight little nudges of life's moments that have just put you on a trajectory that would have been something completely different had you not been nudged? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, um, I, um, I have great passion for the butterfly effect. I think everything we do matters um, and um, sometimes in good and bad ways. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, when I think back to how I got here, right, if I didn't go to that astronomy camp, I would have never thought about space as a career. Um, if I didn't go to grad school and frankly hated doing the research I was doing, I would have never thought to um, stop doing um, science. And, you know, I would have still been a researcher and, you know, doing a little um, aspects of planetary science, but I would have never gotten to the point where I was like, you know what, I don't want to sit in the dark room doing Fortran code and that, that at the time that was cool. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and do other things with my life. Like I, uh, I really changed careers halfway through and became an engineer. And, um, there was a moment I still remember where I was really, uh, late at night, just coding. And I was like, I hate doing this. Why am I doing this? And it was that moment where I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to change my career. And, um, and here I am uh, many years later. And um, it, it was hard. It was hard giving up on a lot of things that you were taught were like, these are, this is your path. Mm-hmm. And you just take a turn. And uh, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Um, but you have to be brave enough to actually try to take a turn and, uh, and knowing that sometimes the outcome is not great. But it's the risk you have to take. Yeah. yeah. You have to take some risks. Yeah. To hit that 12 foot spot on the asteroid millions and millions <laughs> and millions of miles away. Well, yeah, that, that was that was the whole team, right? Yeah. Working together. <laughs> but, but that's the point, right? I still remember I had an interview for this job and uh, I, I talked to the, at that time, the lead engineer and I was like, you know, I'm not really sure. Like, this seems like a, such a stupid mission. You go hit a rock with a rock. I mean, 
does that really seem like a good thing to what's the point? <laughs> You're like, what genius came up with this idea? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> you know. I didn't even think about it really like that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and then the more I, uh, and, and then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a chance and try to do this. And I'm so glad I did. I, it's been and it, and it was one of those things where, you know, the, the bigger teams were not the ones working on it. It was a small team of people who were kind of new to space and they were creative in their thinking. And, you know, that presents challenges when you're trying to actually make something work in space. But, uh, but that's what allowed us to actually be successful too, because of the fact that we had a lot of people who were not stuck in their own ways and we could, you know, think about things a little differently. So it was good. What's your next asteroid to hit or planet to discover or... (laughs) Well, I don't know yet, to be honest. Uh, so I am taking a little bit time uh, after uh, DART to not work on another mission. Um, it is, amazing. you can see the bags in my eyes. It's it's there. They, they exist. Uh, it does take a lot out of you being a lead for a mission like that. It takes a lot of personal commitments uh, to being able to survive it. Uh, yeah, I know. Survive it is the really the yeah. right approach. Well, even Lead in all the movies, all the movies, it's like, you know, the, the person who's in charge of the mission or like even like Apollo 13, you know, it's like all it's always like a man at the office work working late and then comes home and, you know, their wife's there just like with the whiskey just being like, it's OK, you're going to do this. And then she like looks into the window concerned, like, will yeah. her husband save the world or survive this? And I imagine that's not how it really is in a marriage or a family, that it's actually probably more complicated and <laughs> comes with <laughs> communication at times when there's it's really hard to communicate because your, your brain is fried and, and all of those things. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. So basically, um, at this point, I'm just trying to recover from uh, the dark mission, no matter how exciting and successful it was. Um, and, you know, right after the mission, that's the other thing, you know, so you work in these missions, and you love them. They're they're They are your fourth child. Uh, sometimes that child takes priority over your other children. Um, you know, we did this during COVID too, oh, which yeah, was, uh, as you can imagine, um, hard on all families uh, as we were all, you know, sequestered at home, but I couldn't be at home because I had a spacecraft to build. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to go in at the time where all the kids were trying to do um, uh, learning from home or uh, we actually, because my husband had to go in to work as well, we actually wound up sending our kids to sit in the school cafeteria because the schools weren't open, but you could go, they could go into a program where they could try to do their learning from their computers from a school cafeteria. I mean, it was, it was insane. How was that only like two years ago? I have no idea. I have no idea. How, how I don't, that, yes, that is a whole other, that's a whole other butterfly effect that we can discuss on a different episode. Yeah. So it was, um, I think uh, that part you know, having gone through it during the COVID time made it um, both hard, right? It just, it just family, you just had to, you just had to live with it, right? You had to live with the risk of being able to be, you know, just going to work every day and you could get exposed. You know, we implemented a lot of procedures trying not to get exposed, but, you know, exposures 
do happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just had to live with that risk that you would, you know, at the time when people were like, oh, I can't go into the grocery store. You're like, I have to go to work. I, of course, I have to go to the grocery store, but then I also have to go to work and I have to send my kids, which is, you know, a bigger worry into a private, you know, public space yeah. in order to be able to get their education. So, um, you know, there's a lot of risk that you just had to accept. So I feel like after all of said and done, I'm now um, taking a little bit of time to kind of come together with a, you know, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to not have to be at work constantly. Mm-hmm. So that's been very difficult. In fact, a lot of us, uh, you know, all my teammates, we were all lost wandering around after a dark impact. You know, the se- next day we were back at work and we we're like, now what? Yeah, like, we're back. But now what? Yeah. And the scientists were off analyzing data, but all of the engineers, we just felt so lost because we've been working on this for so long and now this thing is just gone. Yeah. I I, I mean, that was, I had a very big come down off of the Vampire Diaries when that ended. I mean, it was eight years. I mm-hmm. worked through my pregnancy. I was back on screen six weeks to the day after my first daughter was born. Like that, this was my life. I, mm-hmm. when someone would say, well, what are you doing next week? I'd be like, hold on. I got to check my schedule, uh, my shooting schedule for eight years. And yeah. I, I never could plan more than a week or two in advance in my life. And then suddenly that just ends. And you, and it was um, definitely months to try to figure out why I felt so emotionally, you know, up and down throughout that period of time because uh, everything that you'd really kind of gotten comfortable in in the cadence of a way of being and compartmentalization, again, going back to, you know, that way of living when you kind of have to, um, when you're working and you're also a parent and you're also trying to have your own sense of sanity. But it, it is a very difficult thing when something you've committed so much of yourself to that has been priority one suddenly just ends one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you deal with it? Oh, therapy time. Um, I also ran right back to work and realized that <laughs> did not help. <laughs> I, I, um, I actually went, that's when I went and filmed a handful of episodes for the originals, which mm-hmm. was a spinoff yeah. of the show. And, and I remember what made me kind of stop for a minute is, um, I was filming an episode and it was around Thanksgiving time. And this was the first time for Thanksgiving that I didn't have to check a filming schedule in order to see if I could be with my family the night before Thanksgiving or not. Mm-hmm. And suddenly their schedule shifted due to weather. And they said, we might need you to just stay in Atlanta. And this was my first Thanksgiving with my, you know, with my my children's father in our home, in our family home we had just moved into. And I just was, I just remember sitting there going, what the hell am I doing? Like I, I worked throughout, I didn't even know my oldest child spoke sign language as a baby because Mm -hmm. I was working so many hours and so many nights and actually worked more episodes, filmed more episodes than I had, you know, back to back in previous seasons. And I just, it kind of just hit me like a bag of bricks saying, I have, this is an important time that I, like I need to be with my family you know, and then I realized on the other side of that, oh, there is a family that needs me here too. And if I have the ability and flexibility to um, to give that time for a while, then then that that is that is what a what a powerful thing in the long run. And that is a gift within itself. I know that not everyone is able to do that, um, mm-hmm. but I I commend you, and I know that that's not easy to be able to, you know, slow down. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I have a, I have a new job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of, course. of course. But it's no, slower no. than the other one. Yeah. But it is definitely slower than the other. You know, I'm responsible for all of our kind of future missions here at APL and the civil space side and coming up with new ideas and all of that. But but it's uh, it's not something where, you know, you have a large team of people dependent on where you're going and what you're doing from day to day. And uh, that part is really nice. But I also miss the teamwork. Mm-hmm. That's that's the part that I miss, yeah. you know, I bet with your filming schedules too, mm-hmm. you probably miss the team of people that you worked with so close. And probably some personalities better you know, left unsaid, but on the other hand, there were so many people that you just felt like they're part of your family yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And to have that family disappear and they, everybody's moved on to other things mm-hmm. and, you know, you run into them in the hallway and you're like, hey, I just love seeing you, but now goodbye. It's just different. It you is know? different. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time um, when you're not busy saving us all here on planet Earth uh, to chat with me. That means a lot. Uh, Lastly, I want to ask the question that we all really want to know. What the hell does it mean when Mercury is in retrograde? What does it mean? Is that a real thing? Can you fix that? Can you send a spaceship into Mercury that makes it stop being in retrograde? You know... I don't think even I can do that. That is that is not something, you know, and then what are all those songs going to do, right? I mean, you're going to have to rewrite all of this poetry. It's, it's going to be really hard. Is that where the poetry and the songs come from? Mercury bring in, being in retrograde. What does it mean? Like, do you know what that means? It goes means? the other way. It goes the other way. Does it really do that? Well, I, I don't know, actually. You don't know? <laughs> You're like, I no, focus on Saturn and Jupiter and asteroids. Actually, I can't focus yes, on all the planets. It's, it's embarrassing that I should really know this, but I really don't. Wow. Okay. I stumped well, you. I stumped you. Well, you know, it, you focus on saving planet Earth when the big asteroid comes this way. And um, I will start researching on how to save us all from Mercury being in retrograde. That sounds good. Perfect. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now I'm going to have to Google it. I mean, if I was faster, I'd probably Google it now. But, you oh, know. Cut to five years from now, you're just like in the fishbowl, like high-fiving everyone because you guys have <laughs> solved the mercury being in retrograde issue yeah. that we all suffer from as a society, apparently. Apparently. So, um, yes. Well, Dr. Adams, thank you so much. Um, thank you for your commitment to, uh, you know, science, math, the space, and um, and also just planetary defense and how necessary it is. And uh, we can all, you, I think, what did you say, which was so, I loved so much. You said, um, I think the earthlings should sleep better. Definitely I will. And I loved that so much. 14 hours of really high stress situation. You can't expect me to <laughs> come up with And then go into the interview right away, right after that. You know, you just walk out, you walk over and they're like, oh, here you go. What are you going to say? You have I love it. I think you should put it on coffee mugs and t-shirts. And that should be your, that should be everyone's motto is that earthlings can sleep better now. Thanks to you. Actually, so thank you. And actually, your team, the whole team. Yeah, I think uh, my personal favorite out of all the publicity so far has been with Stephen Colbert, where he called us uh, happy nerds. And I felt (laughs) like that was a T-shirt that I would want to have. Perfect. Well, I love that. That I, I see you can start a merch line. You have so many things you can evolve so into. Yes, so many ideas. Well, Dr. Adams, thank you again so much. It was such thank a pleasure you. to meet you. And um, thank you. Truly, I really, really, really appreciate it. 
This has been a Super Boom podcast, hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Mons and Diamond Imprint Productions, and advertisement partnerships with ACAST. 